Welcome to week three of Advent. The candle of joy has been lighted. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for him in the inn. Reading from Luke chapter 2, we continue from verse 8 forward. Now in the same country there were shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were so afraid. But the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. He is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. What an amazing narrative. The simplicity of this story is not affected by the complexity of all the historical facts revealed. And within these historic facts come the fulfillment of the most amazing promise ever to ring in human ears. A Savior has been born. Now, by no means does this story merely serve our seasonal desires or, or our imaginations with imageries that could be applied to pageantry. No, the story of the birth of Christ is so much more. For this beloved narrative cannot be reduced in any way. Every detail and every movement is indeed a fact. All the attempts throughout the ages to discount this story's details have failed. For in this narrative, while Luke recounts events of, of beautiful and miraculous nature, we have at the same time actual history. And this history is alive at this very moment. The story of the birth of Christ is alive because he's alive. And the story rings out today to give an invitation for people to trust in Jesus. And for those who trust him, the invitation is to grow evermore. Well, the story is told by author and pastor Bruce Thalman of a little boy who was in his first Christmas pageant. He was no more than five years of age. He was one of the shepherds, you know, and we see how they dress with their bathrobes and their sandals carrying their little cardboard crooks. And he was not a lead shepherd. He, he was a common shepherd standing at the back of the stage. But when it came time for the nativity, everyone on the stage, all the children in their characterizations gathered around to see Mary and Joseph and the baby. This little boy, as a story is told, peered over the back to try to see what was going on. And when he saw what was happening, he ran to the edge of the stage, right where the footlights were, looked out in the audience, cried, mommy and daddy, Mary had her little baby and it's a boy. Now, I love the excitement of this, of this young man and whomever he is, I thank him because he brings to life the realization that the story and the facts of the story must be celebrated. I do not think we should lose the amazement of that little child. So let's embrace the story of the birth of Christ with, with no less excitement. Now, a fun fact. In the year 1224, inspired by the sight of a shepherd tending their flocks in the moonlight, St. Francis of Assisi asked a wealthy friend from Grecio, Italy, to help him construct the first ever live manger scene. I think we should adopt that same inspiration. 
and ask God to bring to life in our own life the message and the meaning of what happened that night that the shepherds heard the angels sing. So there's something here that we need to learn. So let's enter the story. Now, from the portion of the narrative concerning the shepherds and the angels, there are some amazing facts that demonstrate a movement of joy in the heart of common man. I'd like to recount five of these facts with you. The arrival, the angels, the message, the shepherds, and then the joy. Now, with each of these facts, uh, we'll make some application for our lives as the joy of the nativity comes comes to life in us. And let's begin with the first fact, the arrival. Waiting upon the Lord always results in joy. Today, we need to remember to wait for the Lord to move, and He will move in His perfect timing. And when we wait upon Him, the result is always joyful. This is what we learn from the nativity. Waiting 700 years. 700. This length of years measures the span between the Hebrew prophet Isaiah and the arrival of the Messiah. Isaiah had announced that the Lord himself will give you a sign. He, he further said, and, and there will be a child. A child will come. And we will, we will call him wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. When he proclaimed unto us a child is born, 700 years had been fulfilled. The earth waited. Devastations continued. The evil of man waxed worse and worse. But in the perfect time, Christ came. On that holy night, he was born. This is why Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 through 5 proclaims, But when the fullness of time had come, God's perfect time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we could be adopted as sons and daughters. At the right time, Christ was born, and we must acknowledge the waiting. For in this waiting of God's perfect and divine fulfillment of the Christ child, we are firmly reminded to wait upon the Lord, even in our own lives, so that we can see his promises fulfilled. And now, because Christ has come in Jesus, every promise is yes and amen, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Meaning that every promise is completely fulfilled and guaranteed in Christ. So we have in this story of the shepherds the announcement of the long-awaited arrival. She, she brought forth her son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. The arrival came. The waiting was over. And the waiting resulted in joy in our lives. May we always wait upon the Lord because the result will always be a joyful experience as we wait upon him. The arrival proves this. Now let's go to the second fact. From the arrival, let's now look at fact number two, the angels. We're right from the text. The angels' announcement and the, the massive angelic choir, or as Spurgeon says, heaven's oratorio, revealed the majesty of the Christ child and brought joy over fear. True and genuine worship always does this, lifting our countenance from fearful unknowns and dark skies to the brilliant glory of heaven. First, a single angel appeared, most probably Gabriel. He announced the birth of our Lord, but adjoining this angel was the most magnificent heavenly host ever witnessed. The angel's words told them 
of Jesus and his amazing birth and how they would recognize him in a crowded town. Interestingly, the words of the host of angels is very similar to the words sung during a sacrifice service in the temple. And all this glorious refrain, refrain, glory to God in the highest. Now, one does not usually see such a display as the the shepherds saw that evening. We don't know the names of the angels or exactly how many there were. But according to the scripture, the references would likely point to millions of angels. So this would have obviously been an amazing, overwhelming experience. This heavenly manifestation of angels singing came after the initial announcement, do not fear. So the great cure for fear is worship, recognizing the glory of Christ. This is such an important lesson that we embrace from the birth narrative, especially concerning the angel's visit to the shepherds. The worship, the majesty of Christ removed their fear. So it is with us. The worshiper must realize that when he or she comes before Christ with, with, with a posture and praise, oh, our fear, our apprehensions, our preoccupation with, with all that takes place around us is, is forgotten. You see, Paul and Silas in chains began to praise. Moses took off his sandals and took the posture of worship. Today, we take our cure, our cue from this story of the nativity and we realize what other biblical accounts have proven. Genuine worship in posture and praise elevates the human heart from fear to joy. Oh, realize the majesty of Jesus. Form his praise on your lips after having formed his praise in your heart. Encounter the majesty of Christ and like the shepherds watches the fear turns to joy. We have the arrival. We have the angels. Let's look at a third fact, the message, good tidings of great joy. The angel offered a clear and precise message for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. This was indeed a message of great joy. The message, a savior, Christ the Lord is born. Look closely. This represents the gospel. And we must not lose the joy of the gospel and the joy of our salvation. For many, due to fear, worries, unconfessed sins, grudges, and the like, we must, like David, ask God to return our battered souls to the joy of our salvation. The angel's message announced salvation. Good tidings of great joy. Focus on the power of the message for just a moment. Now, now there are five biblical reasons why God might send angels. Uh, notice this for a moment. First, you look in scriptures. God sends angels to protect. Psalm 91. He reminds us that he, he gave his angels charge to guard us in our ways. Second, God sends angels to serve believers. When Elijah was afraid and running for his life in 1 Kings 19, an angel appeared and provided food and water. Third, God sends angels to execute judgment. In 2 Kings 19, verse 35, we read, After King Hezekiah prayed, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men. Wow. Fourth, God sends angels uh, to give praise and worship to God. 
Revelation 4, 8, day and night, the angels never stopped saying and singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But among all these reasons God sends angels, the fifth reason I believe stands as the most noted. Angels are sent to be a messenger on God's behalf. God sends angels with a word. First and foremost, in Matthew 28, the angel came with the word, Jesus is not here, as he pointed people to the empty tomb. But there are many other examples in the Bible of when God would send an angel to give a specific message to, to an individual or people. God sent an angel to Sarah, her, her servant, Hagar, in the desert as she fled for her life, giving her hope that she was not forgotten. God sent an angel to the discouraged Gideon in Judges chapter 6, who greeted him with the words, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. God sent the angel Gabriel to Mary Mary in Luke chapter 1 to tell her that she would give birth to the Son of God. The angel Gabriel came to Zechariah as well with news of Elizabeth bearing a son. Here in this narrative, God sent an angel, an angel messenger, to the shepherds of all people to tell them of Jesus' birth. Oh, this message. This message. Notice the message in two phrases. Fear not and good tidings of great joy. First, fear not. The good news declares an end to fear and the beginning of true joy. Of the fear of the shepherds, I consider there may have been as many as three different designations. Perhaps first, there is an emotional fear because of the unfamiliar and the supernatural. This is only the second time in the, in the whole of Scripture where an entire group of angels appeared to one person or, or, or one group, small group. and Such a presentation of angels did not happen often. In ancient times, uh, man lived in fear of the divine and the spiritual, for he feared approaching God. And stories of, of Mount Sinai lingered in, in the memories of many, and also of how God brought judgment throughout the ages lingered, and therefore there was this, this fear of, of the spiritual. So uh, first there was this, uh, certainly this fear that was emotional, but second there was a fear that was spiritual, overwhelmed by God's presence and his holiness with the appearance of an angel and, and the Lord's glory, the, the greatness of God and his activity in man's life can certainly be surprising. There was a third expression of fear, I believe, and perhaps this could be called the practical. From the emotional and the spiritual to the practical, likely the shepherds were hesitant because of the implications that might be from such a celestial visit. But with all this fear, the message that was announced First was fear not. Fear could end because of who had come. All of these fears could be put to rest because the Savior and the Lord had come. Man received a Savior on that holy night. All fears expelled in the presence of a Savior. Have you ever considered that there is not one fear to which you should fall? For all fears are subject to the Savior. You do not have to fear drawing close to God. You do not have to fear trusting Him. Fear not. The Savior's here. The second part of the message, first, fear not, but the second phrase, uh, what was this? Good tidings of great joy. 
for all people. The message would result in joy for those who would hear to all people. The joy resonates in awareness of God's gift, his grace. Joy and grace are, 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 are from the same term in the Greek. And, and this joy represented God's gift of grace. He has stepped into man's life. You know, it's been said that Christmas represents one of the most stressful seasons of our calendar. And it's sad but true. But in this story, the first Christmas, uh, this offers a joyful celebration, not a stressful celebration. And this is joyful not because of what we might receive by way of tangible gifts. That's the secularism of Christmas. The joy is because of the ultimate gift, Jesus. Had this night not happened, had this holy night not happened, we would have no answer to the brokenness and to the sin that is in our lives and around our lives. So yes, good tidings of great joy. Now the word good tidings comes from the original language uh, and gives us a word that we know is evangelism. The Greek word is euangelion. It represents the good news. It represents the gospel of Jesus, the story of Christ. This is not only the message of Christmas. This is the message of the Bible and the church and all of heaven, the gospel. Paul once summarized the gospel when he wrote, what I have received of first importance, I pass on to you, that Jesus died and was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. This is in 1 Corinthians 15. This is the good tidings of which the angels declared. So the message was simple. Fear not. The good news is here. I hope that you can resonate with the excitement of the good news. I trust that you are not over the message of the gospel that has changed your life. But sadly, many, even in the church, grow cold of the good news. Their joy does not rest ultimately in the message of Jesus coming to save. Why does this happen? Observing the next fact will reveal this. So let's go to the next fact. The shepherds. From the arrival to the angels to the message, we now come to the fourth fact of this narrative. The shepherds. The joy of the gospel always, oh, let me say, always lifts us from our negative perspectives and particularly from negative perspectives of self. Uh, these common lives, the shepherds, uh, for the most part, were living on the fringe of their society. Uh, they, uh, they became the appointed recipients of the best news ever, even though they were thought of very little. So do not think that God has passed you by or that you're not worthy to be counted as one who has received his grace because God thinks you're worthy. He sent his son for you. So look at the encounter of heaven with the shepherds. See yourself for just a moment in the shepherds by noticing three facts of the shepherds. They were not of great reputation among many. They were vagabonds with little regard for others' personal property as they would allow their sheep to graze freely. Therefore, they were looked down upon by most in society. Fact number two, they were seen as social outcasts. This was a reoccurring theme in Luke's gospel uh, that Jesus came for the social outcasts. Well, the, the shepherds uh, mirrored this. Uh, third fact, they were seen by the Jewish leadership as ceremonially unclean. There was the absence of ceremonial custom in their lives, according to what we know, and, and there was the absence of adherence to the details of the Hebrew law. 
But regardless of how others saw the shepherds or even how they saw themselves, the message of Jesus came to them. They were honored. Heaven touched the common life. And they were empowered with joy of the announcement. Consider this piece of history. Just two miles outside of Bethlehem was located a special watchtower called the Migdal Eder, which means the Tower of the Flock. Now, some believe... Some believe this represents a spot close to where Jesus was born. For this location would indicate that, that the shepherds there had many opportunities to tell of the birth of Christ, which is exactly how the Bible describes their response to Jesus. They told everyone. Uh, they could have told the middle class people to whom they sold sheep. They could have also told uh, the people and the priest of the Jewish temple as they transported sheep there to be used in sacrifices. But whether or not the sheep tower was the locale for the shepherds and from where they came, they most definitely became messengers of the message. And God would have your life elevated from the negative appraisal of others or of self to one who truly shares in the joy. How did this happen to the shepherds? How did they participate in the joy from, from common outcast? From those that were forgotten and on the fringe to those that proclaimed the message. How did this happen? How did they move from, from fear to joy very genuinely? Well, the final fact explains. We come to the final fact and the obvious fact. The fact of joy. The significance of joy. It's very clear in the birth narrative of our precious Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There was a genuine move. In the life of the shepherds from fearful to joyful. And when the angel said good tidings of great joy, something supernatural transacted with the shepherds, I believe. They had heard the gospel. The gospel, as the Bible itself defines, is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. So notice how the shepherds were moved from fear to joy. Three little steps. First, they received the message of Jesus. They heard, albeit in the most miraculous way possible, angels singing great tidings of joy, but, but they heard. They were awakened from the night, spiritually speaking. Romans 10, 17 reminds us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, the truth. I love this verse in Romans 10, 17, which could actually be translated words about Christ, the gospel. Faith comes by hearing and hearing from the truth of Christ. Good tidings, that's the gospel. In a state of fear, they heard. Second, having heard, how did they move from fear to joy? They heard, but second, they met Jesus. They literally saw him. They said to one another, you read this straight from the text, let us now go to Bethlehem and let's see these things which he's made known to us, meaning the shepherd, or, or excuse me, the angel. So the angel made known the news. They received the news, and then they went to find what they were told. When words about the Christ are heard and truly understood, how can we not respond? The shepherds responded, let us now go and see. They saw Jesus. They met him. They beheld him. They found what the angels had announced, a babe in a manger, a human Life, but one of complete deity. How could they not know? When you and I truly meet Jesus, 
We need not expect millions of angels will show up, for we only need to understand who Jesus is as our Savior and Lord. This was the height of the message, Savior Christ Lord. The shepherds met face to face at the manger. They met the one who came to save. They met one who fulfilled the promises as the Christ, the anointed Messiah. And they met the one who is the Lord. They met the Savior, the Christ. And they met one who is the Lord, Yahweh in the flesh, King of kings. What a beautiful picture. So they received the message. They met Jesus. But third, uh, their life direction was changed forever. They made known abroad. We read that straight from the text. They made known abroad all that was told them concerning the child. Then, having made known abroad, if, if the sheep's tower was the historical place for them, they had so many people with whom they could interchange, and they they told many. They told everyone they saw. In fact, Scripture says that everyone who heard this, and there were many, were amazed at what they had heard. And then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God. Their lives became a living manifestation of joy. The whole purpose of these five facts is to reveal to you and to me today afresh and anew how we can become living manifestations of the joy of Christ. These three steps the shepherds made are steps that you need to make if you haven't. If you know Christ, you've made these steps. You've received the message. You've met Jesus and then you've You've gone forward, change your life has been redirected for eternity. So today, from the manger, comes your invitation to move from fear to joy. Romans 4, 17, excuse me, Romans 14, 17, reminds us the kingdom of God is a kingdom of, of righteousness, peace, and joy. Concerning the joy of Christmas, as we close, Tim Keller reminds us in a very creative way that just as sugar, physical sugar that we, we intake, as it masks our craving for what we truly need by giving us temporary fulfillment, which is why we shouldn't have sweets before meals. You're welcome, parents. That was free. So the sweet-tasting things of this world Money, sex, notoriety, material requirement can, like sugar, mask what we need and give us a temporary fulfillment. With this analogy, Keller comments that many Christians may say, sure, I believe in God, I'm going to heaven, but they base their day-to-day -day joys on the sweet-tasting things of this world. This very reason explained by Tim Keller is why we need to move to joy. There's so many false substitutes that, that seem to give us fulfillment and satisfaction. And many people who claim to know Christ still live for those false senses of joy every day. Those fake satisfactions, those sweet taste or sugar additives from the world. Oh, we need to move to real genuine joy. This entire narrative proves that God spoke to a group of common shepherds, forgotten by most, 
except those who were transacting business with them. They were living on the fringes. And when the angel came, they were moved. They, they heard the message. They met Jesus. And their lives were changed forever. I hope that today you can say you are truly living in the joy of Christ. I hope that you can say you're not living dependent upon the false additives of this world, the sweet tasting things that can pull us away from Jesus. Or perhaps if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, those sweet tasting but false additives can keep you from truly knowing him. Today, understand from the birth narrative, from the story of the birth of Jesus, from the true Christmas story, that you can have joy and your joy can be made full. And it simply comes by hearing the message of Christ and receiving it by faith. Opening up your heart and in that meeting Jesus and then watching as he miraculously changes your life. Changes it for not just for some better, but ultimately completely better for all eternity. I'm, I'm not just preaching this truth because I'm a pastor. I'm preaching this truth because this truth has happened to me. I've been changed. I, I heard on that eventful day in my life and I, and I, uh, I met Jesus. I received the truth by faith, faith and I met him and oh, my life has been drastically changed. Thank God it has. And I pray that you can know this joy as well. The shepherds knew the joy of the birth of Christ and you can know the joy of Jesus as well. I pray that before this final prayer ends, you can move forward, truly experiencing the joy of Savior Christ, Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for speaking to our hearts today. Thank you for the joy of Christmas. Father, we've lighted the candle of joy, not just ceremonially, but we've lighted it to remind us of the truth of the joy that you give us that can only come through Jesus. Father, I pray for uh, for that person this morning who heard the message from your word and realizes they do not have your joy. Maybe they've realized they don't know you. They've never trusted you. Father, may today be the day they can trust you. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. And together we said, amen. You know, if you feel like God has touched your heart and you're ready to, to place your faith in Jesus, you can pray a prayer like this. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. I know you died on the cross for my sin. I, re I repent of my sin. And I accept you as my Savior and as my Lord. You know, you can pray that prayer. That prayer is just the way that your heart can be opened. Scripture says if, if we confess, if we believe, we'll be saved. So I pray that your heart is open to receive Jesus today by faith. If you've never trusted him for the forgiveness of sin and for the, for the newness of life, Jesus can do that for you today. And he will bring you great joy. And if you're following Jesus and you feel that joy has weakened a bit, uh, return to your salvation. Return to the gospel message and see the, the joy of knowing Jesus and knowing his love fresh in you every day. Uh, wow, the joy that comes from knowing Jesus Christ our Lord was first announced on that holy night. As you celebrate Christmas, celebrate the joy we have in Jesus Christ. Love you a lot. God bless you. Thank you.